0: Well, happy Easter, everyone, whether you are here in person uh, or joining us via video. Just so thrilled that you've chosen to celebrate with us today. Thanks to our ushers for doing a great job finding seats for everybody. Can we thank our usher team today? They did an amazing job. Packed house. 9 a.m. service, so thanks, crew, for for getting that done. Uh, If you are watching live on Facebook or uh, church online, uh, do us a huge favor and share that on social media. There's some share buttons available for you there. It's a great way to let folks know about what God's doing right here at Element Church. And if you're new here, I'll just let you know that we do something like this every single week. And so I'll just invite you to come back next week. We're starting a brand-new sermon series next week called This Is Us. And in the series, we're going to walk through... The core values we have here at Element Church, that values are what define who we are. And so in this series, we're going to use the Bible to reveal the core of who we are here at Element Church. What is it that we stand for? How will we minister as a church? And if you attend through the series, you're going to learn that, hey, this is us. And I'm super excited about this series. On the tables uh, by the doors on your way out today are some information and invite cards. Uh, We have have plenty for you to take. So take one, take two, take three of them if you want to, uh, to give you the information you need and to invite somebody to come back next week uh, for this sermon series called This Is Us. So today, have you ever doubted someone or something only to discover that you were completely wrong and that you learned, uh, it, it taught you something that, that changed your view forever. Like maybe you doubted a child and then they do, did something extraordinary and blew you away. Or maybe you doubted a coworker and, and they came through on your behalf and again blew you away. Maybe you doubted Tim Tebow and then by some miracle move of God, he wins a playoff game against the Steelers. Who remembers that, right? Like, Nobody saw that one coming, right? But he proved all of us wrong. It's Easter. you got to mention Tim Tebow and Jesus. So there's a specific person. What's the rule? There's a specific person in my life I have learned never to doubt. I know it's Easter and we're in church and so the answer is supposed to be Jesus. But I'm not even talking about Jesus. There's someone else in our lives that you should never doubt. Your mom. Never doubt your mom. Can I get amens from the moms in the room? Because... (laughs) Whatever a mom says she'll do, she will do, like whatever. And I learned that the hard way. So the first time was in, in junior high. Uh, my mom only had one rule for my twin brother and I before we left for school. The rule was you gave her a kiss goodbye. And if you didn't, she would come to school, find you, and give you a kiss in front of whoever you were with. That was her rule. So I don't know how many days went by, and I didn't never tested my mom on this rule. But this one day, I thought, I'm going to test mom's rule on this. Like There's no way. I could doubted her. She's not gonna to come to school just to give me a kiss. And so we woke up one morning, had my plan in place. We got ready for school. My brother gave her a kiss. I was walking out the door and she says, Jeffrey, so she calls me, Jeffrey, gonna give me a kiss? I was like, see ya. Walked out the door. So I go to school, school started, no mom, homeroom, no mom, first hour, no mom. I don't know when in the day it actually happened, but I'll never forget it. I was walking down the hallway. Like I was, I was so excited to get home. I had the five moms you know, rule. I was gonna rub it in her face. Like yeah, I knew you wouldn't come to school and kiss me. And I walk around the corner and my pride turned to panic real quick. <laughs> Because there, walking down, the corner, uh, walking down the hallway, almost in movie slow motion, was my mom with the greatest look of satisfaction I've ever seen on her face. And she planted one on me. I never tested my mom again. You'd think I would have learned my lesson, but the next time it happened, I was a senior in high school and 18 years old. I've told this story before, and I've, I've warned you, if you want new stories, pray for God to allow me to do more stupid things. But, um, <laughs> So I was 18 years old. I don't remember what led up to this moment, but we were in the kitchen, my mom and I, standing toe to toe. I was upset about something. I wasn't backing down. She wasn't backing down. Like we were having a mother-son duel right there in the kitchen. And I know it's hard for you to believe this, but I smarted off to my mom. I know you can't even fathom that I would do that. But I smarted off to her, and she just stopped. She looked at me, and she said, Jeffrey, don't you talk to me like that. Talk like that again. I'll slap you in the face. So I looked at her, right in the eye, I said, you won't slap me. Whoo. I can feel the blood pressure of all the moms rising in the room right now. Like some of you want to slap me this moment. I can feel it, okay. I I was thinking, I'm 18. She's old, right. Like, and even if she tries to hit me, I got cat-like speed and reflexes, man. I mean, Matrix wasn't even made yet, but I envisioned myself doing the. As her hand comes around. So the words were, were barely out of my mouth, when out of nowhere, I've never seen my mom move so fast in my life. Out of nowhere, man, she hit me upside the head. It was like Mother Ninja, like, Hoo-ha-ha-ha! I was stunned. I was stunned. I just stared at her. She smiled and walked away. Like she had enough, man. I doubted my mom, and in my doubts, it led to some discoveries about who my mom is. And listen, here's the thing. The same is true with Jesus. Not that he'll slap you. That's different. That's just illustration. (laughs) Like doubting God, doubting Jesus is nothing new, right? That's been happening since the beginning of time. Like literally from the beginning, people have doubted God. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden doubted that what God said was true was actually true. And then they ate the fruit from the tree. He said, don't eat this. And they learned real quick that God's a man of his word. The 11 disciples who remained after the resurrection, they even doubted when they saw Jesus that he was alive. Look at Matthew 28, 16, and 17. This is after the resurrection. Matthew, one of the disciples, records this. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. That even in their worship, they had doubt. So Adam and Eve doubted. The disciples doubted, countless other people in the Bible and throughout history all the way through today, there's people here today, you came in with massive doubts about God. Is there really a God? Did he really send Jesus to die for our sins? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Is all the stuff from the Bible really true? Those doubts and more, nearly every one of us have struggled with in life, right? Like we've been there. So is it okay to doubt and still believe in God? Is it okay to have doubts and still follow Jesus? Here's my easy answer. I hope so. I hope so because while I personally don't struggle with questions like, is there a God, I definitely have times in my life where I struggle with doubts. Doubts like, is he really with me? Does he really love me? Can he really use me in this life? So if you're here and you struggle with doubts, if you're watching online and you struggle with doubts, I just want you to know you're not alone. Because even those of us who believe have times where we doubt, amen? Amen. Here's what I know. It's a big idea for today. If you want to write it down, you can. It's on the screens. Here's what I know. My greatest doubts about Jesus can lead to my greatest discoveries in Jesus. That the things I doubt the most can actually lead to the greatest discoveries in my life. So if there are some discoveries to find in our doubts, here's the big question I think we have to ask. What discoveries can come from my doubts? What discoveries can come from my doubts? If you got your Bibles, normally we'd be kind of in, in one main scripture for most of the day. Today we're gonna use three different main scriptures. So if you got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 11, and then we'll be in John 7 and then John 21. If that freaks you out, you're like, holy cow, we're going to all these places. Don't worry. All of them will be on the screen. You can follow along there. And if you came today and you don't personally own your own Bible, please don't leave without one. We'll give you one for free uh, at guest services on your way out. Just ask for a Bible and we'll get you one. And, and the first doubter we're going to see in Matthew 11 is, is John the Baptist. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, familiar with the story of Jesus, you might be asking, John the Baptist doubted? And you're asking that because you know who John the Baptist was, and you know what he did. And so to remind us and kind of let let those of us who don't know maybe kind of catch us up here, before we look at John's doubt, I wanted to remind us of who he was and what he did. So if you don't know, or if you need to be reminded, John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus, okay? So they were family. He was born to a man named Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth. After years of infertility, God blessed them with this child. And God told them before he was born that this son will be great in the eyes of God. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and he will prepare the way for people to come to the Lord. I mean, literally, John was a fulfillment of prophecy that God had given to his people Israel hundreds of years prior that he would raise someone up to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so as John came of age, that's what he started to do. He began to preach the kingdom of God is near. He he began to preach, repent and be baptized of your sins. That that I baptize with water, but someone's coming who's far greater than me. He baptizes with with the Holy Spirit and with fire. There's someone else coming, he said, who is so great, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Then one day, Jesus comes walking along where John's baptizing and John sees him and says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Points to Jesus as the Messiah. John goes on to baptize Jesus, and Jesus actually in Matthew 11 says about John, listen to this, Jesus said this about John, that of anyone who's ever lived, no one's greater than John the Baptist. That's what Jesus said about John. And then here in Matthew 11, we we see that John is put in prison for his preaching, And, and of all the people you would think Jesus would do a solid for, be John the Baptist, right? I mean, they're cousins, I kind of view Jesus down there. Maybe he called him cuz every once in a while. Hey, what's up, cuz? I don't know. I don't know what he did, okay? <laughs> but of all the people you'd think he'd help out, it'd be John, but Jesus knew he was in prison. He had the power to do something, and he didn't do anything about it. Didn't do anything about John in prison, okay? So Matthew 11, then 2 through 6. Let's look at what it says here. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah, that's Jesus, was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? And if you read beneath the surface here, John is saying, Because if you were the Messiah, if you were really God, if you really loved me, you'd do something about this problem in my life. I got a massive problem, Jesus. Don't you even care? Don't you love me? Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. He's basically telling John, I'm not going to save you from your problems, but that doesn't mean I'm not your savior. (laughs) I'm not going to fix this mess you're in, but it doesn't mean I'm not the Messiah, I love you. I'm just not going to do something about this problem right now that you're in. And there's a reason for it. We're reading the reason right now. If you don't know the rest of the story, John the Baptist, he didn't fall away. He was faithful all the way to the end until King Herod cut his head off for his preaching about the Messiah. So here's the first discovery, I think, from the story of John we can find that relates to all of us, and it's this. God's love for me is not based on my level of problems. That God's love for me is not based on my level of problems. I think we would agree that most of our doubts about God are formed in the difficulties we have to face in life. When we walk through something difficult, we start to doubt there's a God. That if there's really a God, if he really loved me, then he wouldn't let that happen to me. He wouldn't let that happen to the person that I I love. But listen, friends, God's love for us is not proven in our circumstances. It's proven on the cross, and its power is in the empty grave. That's where his love is proven for us. Well, the, the first doubt that most of us struggle with is does God really love me? And the reason we struggle with that is because we equate his love for us with what he's allowing us to experience. But when I take my experiences, my circumstances to measure God's love, then his love for me goes up and down. But his love can never be more or less for me than it is right now. It was proven on the cross, its power in the empty tomb. So the disciple John, not John the Baptist, the disciple John wrote a letter called 1 John in the New Testament. He says this about God's love, 1 John 4, 9 and 10. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Pastor Andy talked about that earlier during the offering. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. That our greatest doubts about Jesus can lead to our greatest discoveries In Jesus. And what discoveries do we find? We find that God's love for me is not based on my level of problems. It was proven on the cross, and its power is in the empty grave. That Jesus is alive. And because He's alive, I can have life in Him regardless of whatever problems I face in my life. Amen. That no matter what I face, God's love for me is the same and his love gives me life. And God still says the same thing today. That I bless those who do not fall away because of me. That just because I'm not saving you from your problems does not mean I'm not your savior. I still love you. My love was proven on the cross. Second discovery we see is this. That God's plan for me is not limited by my past. His plan is not limited by my past. Because after our doubt in the love of God, I think it's the number one doubt we have is the love of God, I think the next biggest doubt we have is that God has a plan for us. He's got a plan for my life. We say things like, well, God can't use me. God doesn't have a plan for me. You don't know what I've done. And we believe at times that our past failures can keep us from living in God's preferred future for our life. But listen, if you don't think God can use you because of what you have done, you should read the Bible more, right? It's full of jacked up people that God used, right? So like Abraham was a liar. Jacob, a deceiver and a thief, Moses, a murderer and a coward, Rahab was a prostitute, Samson has too many failures to count, David was an adulterer and a murderer, Jonah was a runner, not like a marathon runner, like he ran from God the opposite direction and God still used him, Tom Brady played for the Patriots, I'm on a roll, sorry, sorry, (laughs) we all know that's not allowed by God, (laughs) I was on a roll, I apologize. I had to break it up a little bit. So the, outside of Tom Brady, those were just Old Testament people. Not even counting New Testament. Like In the New Testament, you got a guy named Paul. Paul wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament letters. Many people would argue that outside of Jesus, Paul is the most influential person in Christian history. But before he believed... He arrested, tortured, killed people for believing in Jesus. He was on a mission, a rampage to wipe out Christianity from the face of the earth. In fact, in one of uh, Paul's letters, he said this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. That line up all the sinners, Paul said, I'm the first one on earth. I'm the worst, and yet God used Paul literally to change the world. You have Peter in the New Testament, the disciple Peter, the same guy who was the pillar of the early church. He preached the very first sermon after the resurrection of Jesus, and 3,000 people were saved and baptized in one day. He wrote two letters included in the New Testament portion of the Bible, and yet Peter, on the night that Jesus was arrested, the night where his best friend needed him, the most, he abandoned Jesus and denied three separate times that he ever even met the guy. And then there's the brothers of Jesus. Did you know, even his own brothers didn't believe him; they rejected him. John seven three through five says this: Jesus' brothers said to him, "Leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this." If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world for even his his brothers didn't believe in him. They wanted to use Jesus for their own gain. Like they, they saw there's something different about him. And so if he can take this and become famous, we'll benefit from that. They thought he was out of his mind and yet two of his brothers there was four brothers according to the scripture two of his brothers James and Judas again not the disciples James and Judas okay these were just common names people had and they happened to be the names of two of his brothers Judas changed his name to Jude can't imagine why he do that so um, so, <laughs> so here's James and Jude and they don't believe in Jesus that they're trying to use Jesus for their gain for their power, for their popularity, but something changed in them along the way. Like something shifted in their hearts from he's my brother to he's my Lord because both James and Jude went on to write letters that are included in the New Testament portion of the scripture. I want you to look at the first verse of each one of those letters. James 1, verse 1. James, the brother of Jesus, says this. This letter's from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude 1, verse 1. This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of who? James. He didn't name drop. He could have. Both James and Jude could have leveraged their relationship with Jesus to push their own agenda. I'm the brother of Jesus, they could have said, but they didn't. Have you ever been around a name dropper before? <laughs> Like, no matter who you know, they know somebody better. No matter who you've met, they've met someone more famous. They're usually the same person at the party who lets everyone else tell their story, and then they tell their story. It's always one better, right? Well, imagine if you were Jesus' brother. Like, you win every time. Like, let everyone else tell who they know, and you're like, my brother is Jesus. Drop the mic. I win. (laughs) Right? But something shifted in them about Jesus. What was it? I mean, is is it really all that surprising that they started out not believing their brother was the son of God? Is that surprising? Because those of you who have siblings, what would it take for them to convince you they're God? Think about it. What would your brother or sister have to do to convince you that they were God? So I actually think that James and Jude... Are two of the most compelling reasons to believe in the resurrection, because they believed their brother rose from the dead. So what would it take for you to, to be convinced that your brother was God? For James and Jude, this is what they would say, I watched them brutally murder my brother. But three days later, I watched him walk out of the grave. That dude is God. I'm a slave. Of Jesus Christ, they said. He's not my brother. He's my Lord. So not only is is the faith of James and Jude, I think, evidence for me that Jesus is alive. It's also evidence for me that God's plan for me is not limited by my past. Because the story of Scripture is just laced with people. That God used in spite of their past, even sometimes because of their past. That their sin did not keep them from being included in God's story. That if God can take the brothers of Jesus who rejected him and then use them to be a part of writing his scripture, then I just happen to believe he can also use me and he can also use you. That no matter who you are and no matter what you've done, not only can God save you, but he will set you free to live in purpose for your life, regardless of what you have, you have done. That My greatest doubts about Jesus can lead to my greatest discoveries. So what discoveries come from my doubts? Well, I learned that his love for me is not determined by my level of problems. His plan for me is not limited by my Past. And then the last one, I'm going to take some explaining, but here's the last one. God's lordship over me is not dependent on my loyalty. His lordship over me is not dependent on my loyalty. So let me explain. I think there are some people who falsely assume, if I don't believe, it must not be true. That if you can't prove it, I won't put my faith in it, therefore it does not apply to me. That's what Thomas, one of the 12 disciples, thought about Jesus as well. Now, in chapter 20 of the Gospel of John, Jesus has already risen from the dead, okay? Catch up in the story. Peter and John have seen the empty tomb, Jesus appeared, to a woman named Mary Magdalene outside the tomb. And then on the very first Easter night, the first Sunday night of his resurrection, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were terrified of the Jewish leaders thinking they're gonna come after us now. They just murdered our rabbi. Now they're coming after us. And all of a sudden, Jesus appeared in the room, started talking to him. He's alive. Now, for some reason, we're told, Thomas was not there with them. We don't know why Thomas was the only disciple not there, but he wasn't. Perhaps he drew the short end of the stick, and he had to go to Subway to get sandwiches because everyone else was afraid to go out, you know, in the open. And so Thomas had to go get sandwiches. And so you know, I don't know why he wasn't there, but maybe he was. So he comes back. He's got the sandwiches, and he's all excited. It was, you know, $5 foot long, and he's all excited. Hey, $5 foot long. And they're, and they're like, dude, Jesus was here. You, you missed it. He was here. He's like, I always missed it, right? He was was alive, and Thomas said, I won't believe it. I won't believe it unless I see the scars in his hands and put my finger in it. Unless I can put my hand in the wound and decide, I won't believe it. So John 20, 26 through 29 says this, eight days later. So for eight days, I imagine the disciples were telling Thomas, no, he's alive. And he said, I won't, no, he's not. Eight days later. The disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. He wasn't going to go to Subway this time. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. In other words, he was saying, I heard what you said eight days ago. You may not have seen me, but I was here, Thomas. I'm alive. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. You see, Jesus was Lord, whether Thomas believed it or not that God's lordship over me is not determined by my loyalty. He's Lord whether I believe. He's Lord whether I behave a certain way. He's Lord regardless of the burdens I face in my life. He's Lord. And Thomas, in his greatest doubt, had his greatest discovery in Jesus, that he is Lord. But the question is, will I make him my Lord? Because when Thomas saw Jesus, he didn't say the Lord and the God, he said my Lord and my God. And then Jesus said something, this has fired me up all week long. He said something that I believe is being fulfilled right now in this very room, this is happening now. That he told Thomas, you believe because you've seen me, but blessed are those who believe Without seeing me. That's us. And for some of you right now, belief is being awakened in your heart. You are literally the fulfillment of prophecy from Jesus, who is alive. Like he's not showing up in person today. I don't think so. I might pass out. But he's speaking to someone's heart. We're we're not going to touch his scars with our hands, but he's touching someone's heart today. (laughs) Don't be faithless, Jesus said. Believe. But I have all these doubts. What about all the problems in my life? If he loved me, he wouldn't let me go through this. And he's saying, my love for you is not determined by your level of problems. My love was proven on the cross. Its power is in the empty tomb. I love you. Proved it. Well, God can't use me. What about my past? And, and Jesus again is saying, listen, your past does not keep you from my plan for you. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. I won't believe it unless I see it. Blessed are those who believe and have never seen. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And I just, I'm just crazy enough to think that there's someone here today, there's someone here today who right now you're having a Thomas moment that you can't even describe what's happening to you, but something on the inside is beginning to rise And maybe for the very first time, you're saying, my Lord and my God. Not just the Lord and the God. He's mine. I believe. I believe. And I want to give you a chance to declare that with your words to God today. So if that's you, I want everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes if you'd please respect that. If that's you, if you're here and you're saying, I'm having my Thomas moment. I've not put my faith in Jesus, but I can feel something happening. I believe he's alive. I want to put my faith in him. I want you to pray this prayer with me. It's just you talking to God. You can say it silently, just silently in your heart to God. Father in heaven, I believe my Lord and my God. I know you're alive, Jesus. Thank you for living for me. Thanks for dying for me and then rising from the dead. I I, I confess all my sins to you. Would you please forgive me of everything I've ever done? I don't just want a a free pass out of heaven, Lord. I I also want to have a plan for my life, so I'm I'm surrendering to your plan for me. Whatever you want for me, God, I'm yours. I I don't know how you can use me, but I'm I'm yours. And God, I'm, I'm acknowledging you as Lord. You are Lord over my life. Thanks for loving me. Thanks for having a plan for me. And thanks for being my Lord. I am yours. Help me live for you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. You can look around. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer for the very first time to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, would you do something very bold? It's gonna be bold, but it's a very safe place to do it because we love you here. Would you lift your hand up, leave it up. So that's me, Pastor Jeff. I just asked Jesus to be Lord of my life, who here would say that by raising your hand. Praise God, right there. Anybody else? Right there, amen, right there, amen. Anybody else, right there, amen. Anybody else, just raise your hand right where you're at, leave it up, amen. See you back there. Awesome, see you in the back. Praise God, amen. Yes, you can put them down. fires me up. (laughs) That's why Jesus came. That's why he died. That's why he rose again so that you in this moment, listen, boggles my mind. Jesus hung on that cross and he saw today. (laughs) And he saw you that made those decisions and said, I'm doing this for you. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. So if you ask Jesus into your heart today, we're so proud of you. We'd love to know about it. Promise you, we're not going to come to your door. We're not going to track you down or anything. We just want to congratulate you. Uh, so, if you'd mark on your connection card that you asked Jesus into your heart, stop by next steps uh, or stop by guest services on your way out. And we created a booklet, a devotional for you that will take you through the Gospel of John and help you take your next steps in Jesus. Just ask them for the next steps devotional. They'll give you one, no questions asked, okay? So, you can do that on your way out if you ask Jesus into your heart today. I love you guys. Easter's amazing. Like, I love Sundays, but there's something special about Easter. Just kind of heightens everyone's awareness of the resurrection of Jesus. Let me pray for you, then remain seated. And Pastor Andy has two quick closing things before you go. We're going to get you out a few minutes early. Lord, thanks so much for being a great God. Lord, I thank you that Jesus lives. And even in our doubts, Lord, you welcome us. John the Baptist had doubts, your own brothers had doubts. Thomas, one of the disciples you chose, had the greatest doubt, and yet you loved them and brought them in. So, Lord, in our doubts, may you give us the discoveries about you, that you love us, you have a plan for us, and you are Lord. Whether I admit it or not, you're Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.